As, as a friend of mine overseas said, and, and I think, Andrew, this, this summarizes it in just kind of one statement from an outsider, right? He said, wait a minute, hang on. Do I got this correctly? Do I have this correctly? You're telling me that in the United States, in order for a candidate or a party to be on the ballot, it has to be approved to be on the ballot by the opposition. And I said, yeah, that's right. I mean, that, that's the crux of the system we have here, is, is that the political parties are in control of the process that puts them in power. And look who's back. It's Zach. You thought that we weren't going to see him again. Zach, how's your summer been? Probably 50-50 the audience like, oh, great. Zach's back or others like, oh, this guy again. But I'm good, man. It's going to be back, fam. So we're back and we're going to talk about uh, a couple of things. So later in the program, I'm joined by Matthew Ho, U.S. Senate candidate in North Carolina, to talk about ways the Dems are kind of playing a little bit dirty uh, and the, the two ways that me and Zach are going to talk about, number one is that Democrats have now pretty consistently been elevating, even spending seven figures on boosting extreme election denying January 6th supporting Republican candidates in various primaries. All right. I will say this. I, let me ask your opinion on this, Andrew. I don't have an, a, a, particular problem with Democrats, quote, playing dirty. When I say dirty is like, I don't mean illegal. I just mean like maybe some below the belt or strategic decisions because Republicans do it all the time. They are like unashamed in terms of how often they do that. So I think it's nice that Dems punch back, but I don't know if you, I think it's tough to win if you're trying to have this like moral authority out there and your opponent's just running ragged and working around. Oh, oh I, I, you know, I, I'm with you. Like, I, I actually appreciate uh, anyone who who is uh, willing to try and win. Um, but I will say there's something deeply hypocritical about saying, look, this set of extremists uh, are a threat to democracy. And then saying, hey, we think we have a better chance of defeating them in the general. So let's spend a million bucks on boosting them. <laughs> Um, be, because you're playing with fire. I mean, the fact is there were so many Democrats who were celebrating Donald Trump's nomination in 2016 because they're like, oh, my gosh, like Hillary's going to crush this dude. This he's thing beatable. is over. Uh, he's the most beatable. So my, my big reflection is that this is all a terrible symptom of a perverse two-party system, that if you have this bipolar uh, approach, then you're like, okay, let me nominate the crazy on the other side so that my sane person can defeat the crazy. But, oh, look, I just increased the chances of the crazy person getting elected, even though they're out of step with the mainstream. And there are two very notable races where the Democrats have gone pretty heavily in for the crazy. Doug Mastriano, governor PA, and Dan Cox, governor Maryland, both, you know, like out of step with what you'd say is the mainstream. Um, but you're playing with fire because you get you, you know, you, be careful what you wish for, you know. And, and I'm, I'm going to say this is a bigger problem in Pennsylvania than Maryland. I actually expect in Maryland, it's a blue state, like very blue. And uh, I think it's going to be Westmore uh, for the Democrats, uh, who I like and admire a great deal. 
I think Westmore crushes Dan Cox. Like uh, Mar- Maryland's a pretty freaking deep blue state. I think Joe might have won by 30 points or something like that. Like, so whatever they did on that side, it's like, I don't like it, but it's not going to bite them in the ass. It is, there's a, a real chance it bites them in the ass in PA because PA, holy crap. I mean, that state is like, you know, razor thin. So you're, you're going to have uh, Doug Mastriano uh, versus Josh Shapiro in PA. And, uh, I think PA is going to be very, very red the, this cycle. So you you might actually be delivering uh, a crazy person to the governor's mansion in PA. Uh, that one strikes me as irresponsible. It's like, look, you know, like we're really going to take a chance that we have the crazy. I think uh, Doug Mastriano literally like was at Jan 6. I think he like took a bus there or something. He bust people out there. Yeah. So like that. And if, even if you're a Democratic donor, you're like, yeah, like give my money to elevate Doug Mastriano. I mean, that, that does. So again, this only makes sense in a totally messed up two party system. It's going to bite them in the ass. There are Democrats who are rooting for Trump to run because they, they, they think he's the most beatable uh, Republican presidential candidate um, because, you know, Joe's pretty unpopular. And so they're like, you know who we can defeat Donald Trump. It's like, like what sane person would be rooting for Donald Trump to run again and then say, oh, by the way, he's an existential threat to democracy. Like, so, so that stuff bothers the shit out of me where it's like you're, you're, you're rooting for perverse things because of this broken down two party system. And you think you can eke out a win against a crazy person. And so taking a risk that the crazy person might win is acceptable to you. What you're talking about and political playbook reported on this was the DGA, the Democrat democratic or Democrats governors association, the association of of governors that are all on the Dem team. They are spending a million dollars, which probably means at least a million dollars. It's a million dollars that we know of on pumping these people up. They're literally buying ads for them. I think that's ridiculous. The fact that you're going to donate, someone's going to donate to the DGA and they're going to be used to spend money bumping Republican candidates. um, Fundamentally ridiculous, guys, especially in a, let's call it pro-Republican environment, right? Like a red wave Midterm yep. environment. That's where I am, man. Uh, absolutely ridiculous. And this is, and and they're defending it to the press, right? They're like, boast, like boasting <laughs> this as like a brilliant strategy. It's not. It didn't work in 2016. This is stupid. If I'm donating to, if I'm going to be a Democrat, I should be pumping pumping up Democratic candidates. That's the point. And you end up in this situation where, or it, it might not even be the worst thing in the world to even like feel negative ads about your opponent. I think like, okay, don't love it, but acceptable. Um, yeah. what, okay. what seems messed up is like, hey, um, boost the crazy because we think the crazy person, who by the way is an existential threat to democracy and you know, uh, uh, right. on one level, but it's like, <laughs> we think that our chances of beating them are better according to our genius pro- projections, which you know we've been known to screw up. So, like you know, negative ads acceptable, not great, but you know, it's politics. You know, it goes. But there these sometimes. are literally pro Republican ads, right? <laughs> yeah, they're they're designed to 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 make the crazy person seem uh, like the the better choice among right. the Republican primary. Now, electors. here's here's the other thing. This I was gonna say. Why do these Republican? Why do these governor races matter? One, they matter very much on a state level. Depending on the state, they matter very very in terms of what what gets put into law at a state level. Big time. But the other thing that I think the Republicans very much understand is that strong state leadership, a strong governor can turn that state 
harder or or can flip it, but turns it more red or more blue, right? If you have a strong Republican governor, more people turn out for said Republican governor, and you're more likely to get red senators and red congressmen and women and red state legislators and red presidential elections. That's what happens um, because they're the leader of the party in a lot of people's eyes, particularly in that state. So uh, that's why they matter. And when these are done poorly, and I would argue the Dems haven't been great about this, you don't get the bench of leadership, but you also don't get that turnout bump from having a strong example of what a good Republican or a good Democratic leader looks like. So this is why it matters, in my opinion. Or, or even having a secretary of state from one party or another in that state, Zach, because they're going to certify these elections in various ways. Well, that's um, a good way, too. Yeah. For this upcoming oh, election. Or, you know, like women's reproductive rights. I mean, the governor can uh, sign those and in things into yep. law or veto them. The other big thing that uh, I was just in Nevada uh, this weekend, went to NBA Summer League. It was a, a fun time if anyone's in town and is a hoops uh, junkie. So, because <laughs> you have to be a bit of a junkie to go to NBA Summer League, honestly. Yeah. But anyway, uh, Nevada has this massive, massive ballot initiative uh, for November that would shift them to open primaries and ranked choice voting, Alaska style. Uh, and it's a big deal. They got over 200,000 signatures for it. Uh, and the Democrats, in their eternal wisdom, have looked at it and said, what? Open primaries and ranked choice voting? Don't like it. Uh, and they've spent a uh, million dollars trying to fight it. Um, I just heard today that the polling has it at 60% pass because if you ask Nevadans, hey, do you want to be able to vote for whoever you want? Like, do you want to have one ballot instead of three? Right now they have three ballots, like, uh, you know, uh, segregated by party. Mm. Even the term segregated ballot seems kind of dark, doesn't it? Mm. Uh, and so, so the majority of Nevadans are like, yeah, I'd like to be able to vote for whoever I want in the primary. But the Democrats and their consultants determined that would increase competition to them. And so they're trying to, to kneecap it in any way they can. Uh, and it's going to probably go down to the wire um, as per usual. Uh, so in November, Nevadans are going to be able to determine whether they want to be able to choose whoever the heck they want from any party. Um, and I, I really, really hope it passes. It's a very, very big deal. It's the only state where this is on the ballot this year. So uh, if you're in Nevada... Uh, vote yes on this thing. Tell your friends that this ballot initiative will, will give you more real choice and accountability in your representatives. Uh, and even if you're not in Nevada, uh, you know, like check out Forward Nevada and let's see if we can get this thing done. But the fact that the Democrats are fighting this uh, makes me sad and mad, um, though maybe I shouldn't be surprised. You definitely shouldn't be surprised. Do you get more pushback on ranked choice voting and ballot initiatives and things like that? It's basically open primaries and ranked choice voting. Who do you get more pushback from, Republicans or Democrats? You know, I mean, that's like the problem with our current system, man. It's like uh, like whichever party thinks it helps them or hurts them. You know what I mean? Like if you if, if you were to say, hey, open primaries and ranked choice voting to most people, they'd be like, sounds good. Um, and, but then if you put it in a particular state, they're like, does it hurt my team or help my team? Uh, and, you know, it just helps the people. Um, you're seeing this in Alaska. And this is where another crucially important race so if there are races that I think are super important um, in November, one of them is Evan McMullen in Utah. Two is Lisa Murkowski in Alaska. And the latest projections are this. Check it out. Lisa Murkowski voted to impeach Donald Trump. Uh, and, and so her approval rating among Republicans crashed down to as low as 6%. So in a normal primary system, she's out. She's getting the Liz Cheney. Uh, by the way, Liz Cheney is down by 20 and will almost certainly lose. So if you're a... Republican who votes against Trump, you lose a Republican primary. That's the rule, more or less. 
but in Alaska, they got rid of the Republican primary. So now uh, Lisa's just essentially like in the equivalent of a general environment. And it's open primaries and ranked choice voting. And the last poll I saw said that in the final round of ranked choice voting, after all the other candidates wash out, Lisa Murkowski beats the Trumper uh, 52-48. Now, she would have... It's tight. Oh, yeah, it's tight. So she would have completely lost in a Republican primary because, again, like, you know, I mean, Trump went and had a rally for his uh, personally endorsed crazy person. Yikes. Yeah, so the rules change in Alaska, like, are are genuinely uh, the only reason why Lisa Murkowski has a chance and also why she felt the freedom to vote to impeach Trump. Um, and so Nevada is the only state that might turn the dial in the same way. Uh, Alaska is a red state. Nevada is a purple state. So uh, really, this is just a win for the people. And anyone who's genuinely for lowercase d democracy should be for it. But to your point, Zach, uh, people get for or against it based upon you know their, their jersey. Um, mm-hmm. One thing that made me super sad is that this was actually, or version of it, was on the ballot in Massachusetts, like the deepest blue of the states. Uh, and people who are, frankly, very, very savvy and for democracy reform generally and the rest of it. Um, and then the Democrats in Massachusetts came out against it. And you're like, why would you do this? And it narrowly lost. It lost by like three points. So this is the only place that's on the ballot this November is Nevada. Um, so I'm, I'm super engaged with it. I'm going to come back, Nevada. Uh, prior to November, for sure, to fight this ballot initiative. Democrats, please stop spending donor money on extreme uh, candidates on the other Just side. Just focus on our own candidates. Let's build our own bench up. Um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, you know, the next generation for sure. Um, uh, you know, another theme I'm going to throw in here is try and step aside for the next generation. I know that there's like a ma- massive appetite for that. And our guest uh, is going to tell a very, very important and compelling story Uh, about what the heck is happening on the ballot in North Carolina. So now, Matthew Ho, U.S. Senate candidate for the Green Party in North Carolina, joins me to say, what the heck did the Dems do there? This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record, your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing, you don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash yang and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com slash yang. Go to expressvpn.com slash yang to learn more. 
This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses that's tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com yang. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. This week on Forward, we welcome U.S. Senate candidate in the great state of North Carolina for the Green Party, Matt Ho. Matt, welcome. Hey, thanks, Andrew. I appreciate being here. So you've made massive headlines recently because, well, they're not as massive as I think they should be, but, you know, we're mm. trying to help with that. Right. <laughs> so first, what drove you to run for U.S. Senate on the Green Party? Sure. I was asked to run by the Green Party, but it was something um, that wasn't, uh, uh, you know, abhorrent to me. It wasn't anything I said. No, absolutely not. Uh, you know, I took some time to, to think about it because I do have some... Uh, disability issues pertaining to my time in the Marine Corps. But, uh, you know, eventually I decided to go with it uh, and do this because, you know, in line with what you all are doing, I don't believe the two-party system uh, is fruitful. I believe it's corrupt. I believe it's undemocratic and it's harmful. And that if you believe that, you have to do what you can to change it. And so um, I've been voting uh, third party for a while now when I feel it's appropriate or when I when the candidate matches up with what I believe in. Um, but for me, it was also this this idea beyond that issue of, of what our democracy looks like and, and how there's a need to to reform it, to rebuild it, you know, and to reimagine it, basically, uh, is, you know, the lack of accountability. Um, for the wars, whether they be the wars overseas or say things like the wars on drugs, the economic injustice uh, and the, the urgency of the suffering right now, the, 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 the cost of those wars, the cost of those economic justice, the ongoing uh, consequences of the climate crisis, uh, all those things that we have had no accountability for. And we're also not doing anything to rectify. So I think that puts it into the package of, of why am I here talking to you? Why am I am I a Green Party candidate for U.S. Senate? Um, you know, and, uh, and and as you kind of, uh, you know, as we're here to talk about why that's such a threat to the two party system. Well, thank you for your service, Matt. So when the Green Party came and talked to you uh, about this, what were your considerations and then what got you to take the plunge? Because as someone who's been a candidate, it's obviously a big commitment. Yeah, you know, again, a lot of it was with health issues and disability issues for me, just whether or not I'd be able to uh, uh, be able to, to, to physically uh, do this. 
But, uh, you know, I've got great doctors and, and, and support the VA with, with basically I have a traumatic brain injury. So uh, I'm able to um, I'm able to do this because I have had such great support and I've got such a great team around me and everything. However, um, you know, the considerations were how do I look at the children in my family? Um, you know, how do I look at the kids in my neighborhood and in 20 or 30 years say, you know, at some point somebody asked me to try and do something about all of this. And I decided it was too difficult or I decided it was more lucrative for me to do something else. Or I decided that, you know, it was going to be uh, too uncomfortable, you know, and I just you mean you, you mean you don't make tons of money or get tons of acclaim as an independent third right. party candidate? I'm uh, Andrew, I'm like Scrooge McDuck, man, swimming through all my uh, you know, riches. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it is. It, it, it's something that. Um, is a real concern. And that's something that really limits our political process as well, because as most people know, in order to do this, you have to be, uh, particularly if you're running, say, like a statewide race, uh, but really any race, uh, the amount of time and effort you need to put into it, um, it's very difficult to do it if you are not in a position where you are otherwise working uh, full time. Uh, just because the the, the 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 amount of of labor time uh, you know that you have to put into this is really great, and that's a, that's a form of voter suppression. The way that it really uh, we have a system that really allows for the wealthy to be in politics and excludes others. Yeah, and and it's true. I've been in races where just about everyone else was uh, on the government payroll, and you know you're just out out there. Uh, making it happen. So you all did make it happen. Uh, you all got tens of thousands of signatures uh, to get on the ballot. Can you describe that process and then what happened next? Sure. So for in order for the North Carolina Green Party to be recognized as a political party here in North Carolina, we had to collect signatures, could do a petition effort to get onto the ballot. And we we needed 13,865 valid signatures. And just to take a step back for people who are not familiar with the petitioning process, it, it's quite normal. And in fact, when you look at historically uh, petition efforts, for every four signatures you collect, only three uh, usually are, are verified or validated or, or count towards your total. And that's just not here in North Carolina. That's across the country. That's because people write the wrong address down. They think they're registered or not registered. You know, nothing insidious or nefarious, just the way it is. So we needed 13,865. Uh, we collected 22, more than 22,500. And of that number, uh, almost 16,000, 15,953 were verified by the county board's of election, which are the approval authorities uh, in North Carolina. Uh, we presented those to the state on June 1st. We had 2,100 more signatures than were required. Uh, the state took, uh, this is where the story really develops and becomes what we're talking about here today and why uh, this is such a big deal, not just here in North Carolina, but across the country. Because what basically happens is in a, in a brazen partisan effort, a brazen partisan manner, uh, the State Board of Elections, which is composed of three Democrats and two Republicans, votes along party lines not to certify us, even though we had, again, almost 2,100 more signatures than we needed. 
and basically on their whim and basically on this idea that there potentially could be fraud, something that we've not seen the evidence of. We were afforded no due diligence. Um, the State Board of Elections backed up the process to the last possible day so that even if they had certified us, we would not have had the time to get all the other necessary things done to meet that July 1st deadline. So there was bad faith on the State Board of Elections part, but also too, uh, you know, the, the main aspect was this decision again by the Democrats on the State Board of Elections. Don't get me wrong, if we were a conservative movement, the Republicans would have been against us, the Democrats for us. And what it does is basically says, they basically say, because there could be these issues of which we're not providing evidence or telling you what they are, but because there could be these issues, there potentially could be more. And because there could be more, we need more time. But because tomorrow is the deadline for certification, we don't have time to investigate. So we're not going to certify you. Um, you know, and again, um, the, the, the evidence was never shown to us. We were never given the opportunity to defend ourselves. Uh, we were never told whether any of these concerns were about the signatures that were verified. As far as we know, they are strictly we, talking We kind about of know what the concerns were, tr truly, Matt. So again, just to lay out the math, yeah. you guys present 22,500 signatures. The county board says, hey, 16,000 of these are good to go. The requirement is 13,850. So you are well over that threshold. Uh, and then they deny you ballot access because of, quote unquote, concerns. Uh, right. And th this is one very, very clear manifestation. But the Democrats did some other things, too. Like they sent people door to door to have them rescind their signatures. Right. Right. So in parallel to what we're dealing with in the State Board of Elections, uh, almost as soon as we turned in our signatures, um, the D Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee in Washington, D.C. got involved along with the Elias Law Group, which is uh, Mark Elias's law firm, Mark Elias, arguably the most prominent Democratic attorney in the country. The Elias Law Firm bills himself as the biggest and strongest Democratic Party law firm in, in, in the country. Almost immediately, they get involved. They get our petition records uh, from the state. In our lawsuit that we have now, uh, one of the, one of our uh, arguments is that the governor's office colluded with the governor's office, which is supposed to be a nonpartisan executive agency, colluded with the Elias law firm to get them these records. They take these petition records. They match up the petition records with what we assume are their donor databases because we're not sure how they got the phone numbers otherwise. And they start calling people and they start texting people and they start showing up at their homes. And the arguments they're using are, are purely political arguments. And at times they're also saying things like, we know that the Green Party committed fraud, which is you know saying things that's not true. But they go a step farther because sometimes they would call and say they're with the Democratic Party. Other times they would refuse to say who they were working on behalf of. And then uh, what we have, we learned and we got recordings of this. They would call people and say, we're calling from the Green Party asking you to take your names off the petitions you signed for us, which makes absolutely no sense. But that's what they did. They were also when they are they were calling people and saying and when they were visiting their homes, uh, saying they were from the State Board of Elections office or from the Secretary of State's office. So again, deliberately lying to people, you know, misleading and manipulating them in order to try and get their names to be removed from petitions. Uh, you know, I'll say something that 
again, we collected more than 22,500 signatures. So we talked to tens and tens of thousands of people over the period of months. Not once was ever was a complaint ever filed against us by anyone out there saying, hey, these guys are doing something shady. It's pretty obvious what you're doing. You're trying to get them to sign to get the Green Party on yeah. the ballot. I mean, like, who, who the heck could be confused by that? <laughs> it, 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 it says it right on the petition sheet itself. And we've got our Green Party shirts on. We got our literature, sure. our banners and all that. You can see very what that interaction is. There's a person yeah. wearing Green Party paraphernalia saying, yeah. will you sign this petition to get us on the ballot? Yeah. So uh, where this gets, where this, of, of course, as people would expect, we get hit as soon as Elias shows up, though, complaints start coming in that pass through the Elias Law Group, again, the law firm working on behalf of the DSCC. Uh, and again, we never had a complaint until this law firm shows up from D.C. Um, but then as soon as the law firm from D.C. shows up, you start having actual fraud. Right. Where they are calling people, lying to them, uh, trying to mislead them and manipulate them and harass and bully them into getting them to remove their names or petitions or say things such as we deceive them or what have you. And again, all false. But this is what is done and has been done for decades to keep third parties and independent candidates off the ballot. So as we say, you know, this, this is not surprising to us. Maybe the brazenness of it is, but we knew what we were getting into. We were wading into the alligator pit, you know, I mean, so we knew what to expect. Uh, and this is a good fight. It's a worthy fight. It's a fight that we want to have because it validates what we're saying. But also, too, it's a very important fight because what you're we're talking about here well, is you, the you ability- don't want this fight. You want the, the fight to be actual ballots and voters, you don't want to be embroiled in these ridiculous lawsuits because they're, they're kicking you off the ballot. But you all have made common cause with the libertarians uh, of North Carolina. Is that right? Correct. And, and I, I think across the country, third parties often work together uh, because they're up against the same obstacles, right? Up against the same institutional hurdles in terms of getting on the ballot. So and we have with the libertarians here, uh, worked before with them, uh, and certainly the support we've gotten from them has been great. Uh, and what they're providing is context and background to this that really shows that this was a targeted partisan effort by the State Board of Elections to keep us off the ballot. Uh, the, the executive director of the North Carolina Libertarian Party, Brian Irving, who's been doing this stuff for 30 years, uh, said last week, look, I've been a part of eight petition drives and never once has the state board of elections uh, looked at signatures, particularly uh, signatures that have been verified by the county. Not even verified by the county board. Yeah. I, think I, I just want to set, set the stage for people. Here's what I think is happening. Uh, you have a Senate race that people believe will be competitive between the Democrat and the Republican. Uh, and they believe that if you are on the ballot, you will take energy from the Dems uh, and and not the Republicans. And so they think, you know what, if we can manage to kick them off the ballot, it elevates our chances of winning. Uh, I think that's what most people imagine is happening. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Well, that that goes along with the spoiler uh, motif or the spoiler trope. Uh, I, I reject that. I'll take on the take on the title of disruptor, though. And certainly, what we want to do is disrupt the political system 
force the political system to change, right? If we run multiple candidates, uh, if parties in a system that is is being kept as a two-party system, it will disrupt the system and eventually the system will be forced to change. I mean, that's that's one of the strategies. Oh, you know I'm on board with this, Matt. Yeah. I mean, what I've been championing exactly. is, look, just adopt ranked choice voting and then anyone can vote for whomever they want. That, that's that's exactly right. We, we, we um, you know, one of the things that we'll, I also say about all that is that if we're not on the ballot, issues like single payer health care, uh, affordable housing, annualized uh, living wages, uh, action on the climate, uh, ending the war on drugs, things like that are not going to be on the ballot. Uh, what we represent is a clear alternative to the other parties. And by that extension, what we say is that what the threat is, is that these issues that we represent, issues that predominantly are meant for working families, so we are providing a representation for working families that they don't otherwise have. These are issues that are a danger to the profits of the donors of both the Democrats and Republicans. And that's why they are so eager to keep us off is to protect their donors' profits. And they just simply do not want any discussion of, say, health care. This is something that I, I get so frustrated by, Matt, is they like they run around and yell, spoiler, spoiler. You're going to mess it up. You're going to mess it up. And then you turn around and say, well, if you really think that's a problem, just adopt ranked choice voting Yeah. and then problem solved. And their response is not, oh, that, that's a great idea. Let me look into that. Uh, it, it's instead like it, it puts paid to the fact that uh, what they don't care about uh, a real solution or a process improvement. Um, they just want you to shut up. That's really, you know, it's, it's such like a ri ridiculous uh, uh, argument uh, because when you give them the real answer, they, 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 they just ignore it completely. You, you, uh, you, you, you say it very well, Andrew, because that's been the experience uh, since we started this campaign back in January, but most especially over the last uh, month or so dealing with this issue. Uh, that's exactly right. I mean, there are answers there. Uh, you know, it, it's similar to the, the whole thing of, of both Bush and Trump being elected by the Electoral College. Well, let's fix that. Let's change that then, because that is undemocratic and it's give, it's delivering awful results for the country. I mean, but again, the idea that we're going to do something that fundamentally improves the circumstances in which we're, 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 we're dealing here and has an actual positive effect on the outcomes, it always seems to be missing from the conversation. Uh, and it's because both parties, the two party system, as you know, wants to maintain the status quo. And it's a, that's a status quo. It's deadly for many, many Americans, but it's good for the two-party system. So the idea that they're going to talk about ranked choice voting, because ranked choice voting, when you explain it to people, as you know, Andrew, is very common sense. Uh, it, 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 it's something that could be readily adopted, and it's something that would make a difference. You know, the... Democratic efforts in North Carolina remind me of what's happening in Nevada right now, which you might not be familiar with because your head's down on your race and you have this yeah. lawsuit against the Democrats. But there is a ballot initiative in Nevada to shift to nonpartisan open primaries and ranked choice voting. Uh, and so they can vote on it in November. Now, the Democrats are in control of government in Nevada. Uh, so they, of course, came out against it because... They, they see that it would introduce genuine competition. And then you ask, why the heck could you be against this? You literally use ranked choice voting in your own internal party 
processes already. So you understand that it would help. Uh, and the arguments they make are, are that it would be confusing. It disadvantages minority voters, even though data shows that that's the opposite. Like the, the whole thing, it's like, I wish they'd just come clean and say, hey, we just don't like competition. Right, exactly. That, that, that's the whole thing is that um, they have for decades now uh, helped because they're in power. And you see that because, again, like in our case here with the county, with the state board of election, it's controlled by the Democratic Party. As, as a friend of mine overseas said, and, and I think, Andrew, this, this summarizes it in just kind of one statement from an outsider, right? He said, wait a minute, hang on. Do I got this correctly? Do I have this correctly? You're telling me that in the United States, in order for a candidate or a party to be on the ballot, it has to be approved to be on the ballot by the opposition. And I said, yeah, that's right. I mean, that, that's the crux of the system we have here is, is that the political parties are in control of the process that puts them in power. Yeah, it, it, it makes me aggravated when you hear all of these uh, arguments and claims that Democrats are defending democracy. Uh, and then in a case like this, uh, they clearly are, are very happy uh, to ignore the rules or the will of the people if it suits their political interests. Correct. I mean, because because I, I think and I've heard this from many people and I've heard this from independents, Democrats, Republicans about our our circumstance, because we are getting very good media on this, including national media. And really appreciative to be here to talk to you about this and tell tell your folks about what's going on. You know, when you look at it objectively, and this idea of of that basically what the state board of elections has said is that we don't like what's happened here. We don't agree with it. And we think there could be something wrong. We have no evidence. So we're not going to approve it. And there's not that big of a distance from what the state board of elections, the Democratic Party here in North Carolina has said in, in their ruling not to certify us. And what Giuliani and all those crooks were saying back in 2020 when they went to court to try and overturn the uh, 2020 presidential elections, that there could be fraud. And so you can't certify these results. And when they were asked, what's the evidence? They were, of course, unable to provide it because there was no fraud or, 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 or rigging in the 2020 elections. And that's what we're dealing with here, too. There was no fraud on our part. There was no rigging. But what you have is the political party in power that is, feels threatened by us is able to say, we think there might be. And that's justification enough to keep you off the ballot. And that's why this case, what we're dealing with here, I think has national implications, because if they are allowed to get away with that, you know, that has repercussions across the country in every state, in every municipality, et cetera, that where a party in power wants to keep others out. Yeah, the, the rules have to apply even when you don't like the, <laughs> the, the the impact in a particular case. You know, that's like the point of the rules. That's the whole we, we, we trumpet all the time about free and fair elections. And that's part of it. Fair means oftentimes with fair, it means simply that you don't like the results, but you accept them because, again, they were agreed upon rules. We have something that has been set up that tries to be objective uh, and not biased. And, uh, you know, again, we just keep coming back to the same thing, right? That's not what we're dealing with here. And I think, you know, we, we, we had our first day in court yesterday. We're suing the State Board of Elections. We had our first day in court yesterday. And, and we're very, uh, we, we feel very positive after seeing the court's initial response to us because the court is taking this very seriously. 
and um, you know the, the idea that there was no due process, that this is just the whim of a political party to keep another party out, is something I think that the court uh, uh, takes again very seriously. And so um, I think moving forward, hopefully, again, this that this case has an effect across the country in terms of improving the circumstances of the situation of ballot access for independents and, and, and third parties and grassroots campaigns, uh, uh, you know, not just here in North Carolina, but, you know, wherever elections are being run. Well, thrilled to hear that they're taking it as seriously as they should. You have a lot of people in your corner who want to make sure that the will of the people is actually represented uh, that if you do all this work, and I know it's hard to get 22,500 signatures, like if you do all this work that they don't arbitrarily kick you off the ballot. If people want to help you, this lawsuit, your campaign, how can they do so? Right. So please go to MatthewHoferSenate.org. Uh, last name is spelled H-O-H. So MatthewHoferSenate.org. And please donate. Encourage others to donate. We are up against, uh, we're in a two-fight front here. We are against both the North, both the state of North Carolina and the Democratic Party, not the North Carolina Democratic Party, but the Democratic Party, Chuck Schumer's operation in Washington, D.C., and their biggest law firm. So it's a real David and Goliath fight. We are up against the Leviathan, if you will, and we need people's support because this will be a very expensive ballot access in general is uh, something I don't think people really have a great familiarity with because it doesn't get discussed as much, but it really is uh, uh, onerous on both the front end and the back end. So you spend uh, uh, months and months of your campaign just trying to get on the ballot because as you were saying, Andrew, it takes a long time to collect signatures and it's a lot of effort, ends up costing you money, which third party independent and grassroots campaigns don't have. And then on the back end, after you turn them in, you get hit with these legal and bureaucratic attacks that you then have to fend off. And that's where we are now in court. Uh, so it will be very costly for us. But if you agree with us and you want to see us win, please support, please donate, and please encourage others to donate at MatthewHoferSenate.org. That's H-O-H, Matthew, H-O-H, for Senate.org. Wish you the best of luck making this case for the people of North Carolina to have a genuine say and who represents them. Thank you so much again for your service, for running and waging this campaign, Matt, and now becoming in many ways uh, one of the symbols for third party and independent politics in the entire country. Well, thank you for saying that, Andrew, and thank you for the work you're doing. Um, I really appreciate the leadership you've been showing on these issues. I mean, the fact that you went into it, you saw what was happening, and you said, this isn't right, and I'm going to do something about it. That's really inspiring. So thank you for what you're doing as well. Oh, Matt, I, I love the people who are in third party and independent politics because you're generally, genuinely driven by service, patriotism, principle. Like I joke, like no one goes into this area before like the riches and glory. Right, Because you know the system is broken and the people deserve better. Well, and people are hurting and it's people we love. And there's no one who's a part of this campaign who's not doing this because they've had some personal experience or they have people in their lives who they love who are suffering. People, I have people in my life who, uh, in, in, who have to check their banking accounts before they go to the doctor. And then they make dangerous decisions based upon how much money they have. And I could talk about my neighbors who've lost homes to corporations and the number of people I know who've died from opioid overdose. I mean, like yeah. this is a real, you know, when I say this, this is real for me, this is real for me. People I love are suffering and it's because of the deliberate 
government policies uh, that come, keep coming back to me to the two-party system and it's captured by money that creates the circumstances that the people I love suffer under. Yes. Well, people wonder what the Democratic Party is doing in a lot of the country. And one thing that they seem very adept at is kicking people off the ballot. Yeah. Uh, hopefully this is something that the that can get reversed in the days to come to make sure that the people of North Carolina have you on the ballot, Matt. Appreciate the heck out of you. And hopefully we'll have a chance to, to meet in person, but support everything you're working on right now. Yeah, I appreciate it, Andrew. And again, thank you for everything you're doing. Thanks, Matt. Thank you so much for listening. Next week on Forward, an exciting announcement I have been working on for months about the Forward Party. You do not want to miss it. Check it out. It's going to come out probably even before next week. But next week, tune in for huge news about the Forward Party.